There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the owner, founder of Death Ed and uh, primary uh, funder of Corncob TV's Coffin Flops, Jeremy Allen. (laughs) Can I just say that Nothing makes me more uncomfortable than Tim Robinson. Oh my god, I love it. Oh my it. god. Hey, Can uh, I just go on the record <laughs> and please set that entire clip straight. <laughs> <laughs> that in the entirety of my career, not one person has fallen out of the bottom of a <laughs> casket. Zero coffin flops? Zero coffin flops. So do you oh want to hear something really funny? Is while I was prepping for today's episode, I came across a story that literally was a coffin flop, but it wasn't had nothing to do with this. And I read it and went, "Oh my god, that's fucking coffin flops!" From I think, from, I think you should leave. Probably more realistic than Bry going through uh, Al Gore's new company, <laughs> <laughs> but still further right. from the truth than anything else we'll talk right. about. Tonight. Still very, very low probability. <laughs> you, very, you know what's funny yeah, though? Very I, low probability. I, I'm not a. I didn't. I don't know a lot about the the monarchy. But um, I was curious as to why <laughs> so many just people... waiting for a coffin <laughs> flop today. Coffin You're like, come on, <laughs> come on, naked, come out naked. I was going to say, I didn't know why so many people were watching it until I saw that clip. And I was like, oh, that's why. Suddenly this yeah. makes so much more you sense. never know. Um, Jer, uh, for first of all, thank you for joining us today. This is uh, this is the second time you've been on the show. We're yeah, huge, we're I'm huge excited. fans. I'm excited. Um, give yourself a little introduction. Let, let our audience know tonight. Uh, what is Death Ed? Who is Jeremy Allen? What? How on the fuck did you end up doing what you do today? Which, because I, I honestly, I find it extraordinarily fascinating to speak to someone who is a funeral home director, yeah, someone who's okay. like in the death trade. So, give well, us a little me, bit let of me insight. Start with uh, meeting you in the space of recognizing the way in which you portray death is completely inaccurate into what actually happens when we care for people. What? We love when they die. If you can believe it, <laughs> what we are hearing and talking about up here is uh, you know, probably a slightly different practice, but we'll get into that. So my name is Jeremy Allen. I'm a funeral director and bomber. I've spent most of my entire adult life uh, walking alongside people who have experienced loss and, and specifically loss of a loved one who has died. And, uh, and so... It was not a like it was not a fairy tale entry into funeral service for me. So uh, when I was in grade twelve, I grew up very rural here in Alberta, and uh, like you know, very stereotypical environment of like you know, by the age of sixteen, you're supposed to know what you were going to do for the rest of your life. And uh, so I thought like, well, maybe I would be a teacher. I came from a lineage of educators. Um, the trouble with that is I fucking hate school, and uh, and then. <laughs> Uh, I thought maybe I would be a youth pastor because I like was just drawn to like helping like 
you know, youth and children, but like I love to drink and party, so that was not a real viable <laughs> outcome. And, uh, At first, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so sweet!" And yeah. then I was like, uh, "Amen, and, uh, brother." Every step of the way, there seems to be something <laughs> in the way. Yeah, just these little hiccups. And uh, and so, anyways, I got caught cheating on my social thirty diploma, which if you're from Alberta, like you'll know, that's quite a that's quite a thing. What's the social thirty? So when you graduate, like in order to graduate here in Alberta, don't laugh at me. I don't know. Uh, when you graduate here in Alberta, or like this is, you know, the two th- circa 2003, you had to write a test that was worth 50% of your entire year, which was called this diploma exam. And, uh, and Wait, what happens if you fail it? You don't 50, you, go, you get so, like, 50%. It averages out towards the other 50%. It's insane. That's insane. It's an incredible amount of pressure to put on young people. I couldn't disagree more with the system. Anyway. Especially if you're dumb. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, like, I'd be fucked. Yeah. So, yeah. so I thought I would cheat off my stupid friend. And, uh, oh, no. And, and got caught doing it. And so, like, you know, the funny part of this is, I mean, not so funny at the time, but my dad was the vice principal at the school. So a little oh. bit of a black stain on the Allen family name. And uh, so through the steps of, you know, writing my apology, going, rewriting the test, which I did better on on my own than cheating off my friend. <laughs> yeah, like when you said your dumb friend, I was like, you were going to cheat. I cheated my way into like a 63 <laughs> and then like just went and wrote it like and wrote like a 78 on my own. So it was just like, yeah. And uh, but we were basically driving home from that. My parents were just like. So your aunt works at a funeral home in Calgary, and uh, they're they're looking for help, and we think maybe it would be a great change of scenery. I think was like the mm-hmm. exact words. I said like like the funeral home for you was like was, was well, like, like was like the was like the boarding school or the military academy. Yeah, the change of scenery was yeah. like you know this opportunity, and, and like I was just like, well, no, like a. That sounds like an awful outcome. Sounds like a bummer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm 18, barely 18 at the time. Let like, me go to Fort Mac, Mom. Yeah, yeah. I got, well, not there specifically, but I did end up in the oil field for a bit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I went to went to Calgary. Uh, Can I just, you said Calgary a couple times here. Calgary, and I, yeah. and, and you know what, I just want to say, we did a, an Calgary. episode the other day, and I said Calgary. Yeah. And then I said, I don't know why I said Calgary. Because I don't. I say Calgary. Right. And then the guys were like, yeah, no one says Calgary. And I said, every from El- every fucking person from Alberta says Calgary. Right. No. And okay. Yeah. Well, and you fuckers were like, no, that's just well, hold dumb. Hold on. Hold dumb. on. No, you know. Hold on. Specifically, you said that's I know. dumb. I know. Slack-jawed, yokel, mouth-breathing, fucking dumb American hicks that say Calgary. And I said... Well, I bet you Jeremy says Calgary, and you guys go, there's no fucking way he says it like that. And now he said it like Hold that on. twice. Hold on. Now, what do you have to say to Jeremy? Say fucking Hold hit him now. We were upstairs. We were upstairs. We were talking about this exact same scenario upstairs before the show. There was an audience of two people from Alberta, and one of them said Calgary. Thank you. And one of them said Calgary. And I would agree it's Calgary. It, I mean, oh, it, oh, I say, oh, hey, but like hey. instinctually, I go to Calgary, and it's right. Like, but my whole point is, why don't I, we ask the people? <laughs> is it Cal? What do what what are we what are we thinking? Wait, round of applause. Who says Calgary? Do you say Calgary? Yeah. Okay, by round of applause, who says Calgary? 
And now here's Unanimous. the thing. Here's I mean, the thing. Because Unanimous. when I when I when no, I no, no, when no, I started going out to Saskatoon, I like it was unanimous. I said Saskatchewan, and everyone looked at me like I was the dumbest person well, it's Saskatchewan. on earth. And everyone said Saskatchewan. Yeah, Saskatchewan. And I went, okay, point yeah. taken, no argument. Yeah, my whole point is I went to theater school, and so I know there's lots of different ways to say lots of different things. <laughs> and so I just mix it up every once in a while just to fuck these guys up. <laughs> Anyway, funeral home director, eh? How about that? Yeah, so I, I'll uh, condense it because I think we were on a bit of a timeline for tonight. So, so yeah, if you could so do this, like we have five minutes and yeah, fucking perfect. come on, let's go, let's go, let's come on, Jeremy. The Fuck. in five minutes. Uh, so yeah, ended up basically entering into funeral service at a very like young adult age, first generation, just simply meaning it wasn't like a. I took over a family business or anything. Is like that like that. really typical? It's. I feel like it's typical. Yeah, I think. I think it is the most likely outcome of like you know, let's say family-owned funeral homes uh, is that the generational takeovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just of course not the case for us. Like it was a, it was just a very unique entry into it. Got I out of it for a bit. Tried McEwen. Tried to go back. Like. Default pursue education. My like first semester meek you and I dropped out of four classes and failed my fifth. Had a f- great fucking time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, woo. I got I got a question about that. Like, so I went I went to uh, I went to university with a guy named Josh Noyles, a really sweet guy, and and uh, he his family owned a funeral home. Yeah, in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, a really small town, and he he was like. You know, his his dad owned it, his dad's dad owned it, and he was like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to own this thing. He was, And that's what he was setting up for. He had a collection of several hearsts that he had, like, bought over the years and was, like, refurbishing. He drove me to my girlfriend's prom um, in a hearse. He drove us in a hearse. It was fucking, it was rad. This whole show is making a whole lot more sense. <laughs> and uh, and Josh is a great guy, and and I always found it really fascinating that like he was born into the field, right? And so like, you know, his like his dad was an embalmer, and his dad owned a funeral. His dad was a funeral funeral director, and so it made sense to me that he was like, yeah, this is my life, and this is what I want to focus on. And and there was parts of that when I was a kid, when I was young, when I looked at Josh, I would think like, holy fuck, that must be really that must be really jarring to like me thinking about taking on this business right now as an 18 year old, I would be so fucked up in my head if I had to like just deal with dead bodies every day. But isn't that speaking to like the kind of the death phobic angle that we come from? That, totally. That's going, oh, 100%. Well, well, when you grow up with it and it's a normal right, sort of realm of conversation. My question to Jeremy is like, you... You didn't come that you way. You didn't come that way. And so like when you decided, you know, when your parents are like, look, you're a fucking dum-dum. Uh, you <laughs> failed even when you tried to cheat. So like, we're going to just make you take over this shit. We're, like, was there a part of you that, that um, dealing with death that early on and trying to like get your foot in the door there was that was there a ch- was it, like did that fuck you up in any way like was that was there a challenge there where you were kind of like wow this is a lot and yeah this I think really it, I, I mean I don't about. know like at any point in time in those like initial experiences of like seeing a body yeah it's fucking weird you know and like there I would still say like even at stages of my career still there are, like just like these flashes of mortality right like where you're really like just like connected to like what you're doing and what you're being trusted to help with and and a part of that is like recognizing that yes you know 
the way that I would explain it to kids. So like just to further the introduction, eventually this career of mine like led into something called death ed, which is a death education platform learning to speak about grief and loss. And specifically that platform was created to like start to better communicate with children about grief and loss. Okay. So like when we speak about it in that setting, like we talk about, like we use like the metaphor of an egg, how an egg has two parts. It's got the shell. And then like, you know, that's the thing that protects the, the yolk, which is like all of the things we love about these, you know, people that were in our life, like the stories of our grandma and our grandpa and our mom and her dad. And, and so the shell, like the, the yolk isn't with them anymore. All we're left with is the shell, but still very important. It housed this really important person in our life. Right. And so like, you just get these like flashes of mortality where you're just like, you know, like it's a really incredible privilege that people trust us to take care of the shell in all of the ways mm-hmm. that they're not able to. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I would still say like flashes of mortality, like in that, but definitely at the beginning, like where you like walk in and there was just like, it's just you. And like, I remember like when I worked, like it, I worked in a very urban center, like when I first started in funeral service and it was like, you would walk in and it would like not be unusual for there to be like 20 to 25 bodies in mm. the room and it just like and i'm fucking afraid of the dark and like we would have to go out <laughs> during the night and yeah. it was just like uh. you know like does anybody remember mic phones you know no am i like that dated you guys fo- remember mic, mic phones? phones like they had like the walkie talkie phones and like we would get dispatched out and like the fucking this sounds like an alberta come on and nobody here had a mic phone is this a real thing it's a talkie is this like, a trucker like, thing yeah. i guess uh, yeah. so we had the cb going no and uh <laughs> but yeah it was like we had these mic phones and like these fucking guys i would work with it was like the joke was to like scare people during the night so you just sit there okay and, like, that's terrifying. The it's a terrifying so i joke but i th- I thought this would come later in the conversation. And also I probably, I, there was a part of me that was like, don't ask this cause you're going to ruin the show. Um, but, but, but I also are. said it on the fucking CBC, uh, interview that I did this morning at 7am to whoever it is on Edmonton's like CBC show. Did anybody actually show up from that interview? Just wondered. No thought so. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Amazing. All right, it's worth it. One is worth it. Yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but my question is, um, and this is this is kind of like, we're, I feel like we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but I'm going to insert it now because he said this. Do you have any, do you have any good haunting stories? <laughs> like, like you're, you you're, you're sitting in a fucking morgue, dude. Like I've seen so many movies and I know how this works. Like you open the door, the, fr- the refrigerator door, you pull the body out, the toe tags on there or the lock, whatever, depending on the time period. <laughs> and you look at the body and you turn, you go to your chart and you say, yep. And then you turn around and like, maybe they're not there or that, that's well, extreme, never, but like, no, yeah, like is there any any spooky stories at all where you like just to like that level but i'll definitely like meet you in this place of saying like yeah. you can get into a headspace where you really start to scare the shit out of yourself no yeah and uh and I, like i would say probably one of the like the most scared i'd ever been and this was like in those like entry level times of my career and like and it was so it's just like it was pretty common you know when we were on call like you'd get called out and like and I, we had some like pretty humor filled experiences. Like I yeah. remember this night specifically, and it was like one of the funnier experiences coupled with like one of the fucking most terrifying things that has ever happened to me. And it was just like, I went and I got called out to this nursing home during the night and, and typically funeral homes, you know, are 24 hour care, meaning, you know, we'll bring people back to our care any time of the day. And, uh, and so I like get to this like nursing home and it's clearly a space where like, um, the people that live there are like, 
not of sound mind. And, uh, and I'm like walking in, like pushing the stretcher and this, it's like three in the morning. And this lady's just like, are you here to do my hair? And I was like, oh, <laughs> ma'am. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. Do you know where Steve lives? Um, oh, but, no. uh, so <laughs> Steve? Yeah. And so, anyway. Steve this, does my hair. Yeah. So bring this person, like, back to the care of the funeral home. And, like, one of the steps that we take when we bring them back to the care of the funeral home is like we just have it. It's you know it's a to simplify it, just like a very simple like like lotion, like face face lotion, face cream, and uh, and it's just to help like with the dehydration of certain parts of the features in case there's going to be a viewing. And uh, so, anyways, I'm like reaching around trying to get this cream, and I like turn my back to like reach up and get this stuff, and this person's hand slipped off of their like torso and like came and like slapped my ass no, no. and then I shit on the floor you were like oh, no. <laughs> Steve <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> and it was like how dare it you? was hands down one of the most like terrifying moments of my life oh my know? god like, it was just like you didn't even like want to turn around you're like what if yeah <laughs> what yeah. if this is Detroit and they don't have all of the regulations that we have in Canada <laughs> and this person is still alive like you were just like it was terrifying now, you you mentioned it was not the case it was just a simple act of gravity when you uh, uh, when you act of gravity or like uh you know like a nerve thing where they've been dead but there's always that like because I see he's fishing nobody okay again I, I'm gonna go on the record here I've never seen an arm move I've never seen someone Fuck. sit up like ah, nothing, nothing has happened. Post, post death. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, fine. I, I, whatever. I, I wanted to come back to. I wanted to switch the topics for a second because you mentioned before we get, got into the ghost stories, you were getting to something. I think that's much really more important. meaningful, probably. Well, uh, <laughs> and I feel like you and I can connect on this because um, you were talking about educating uh, children about death, and mm. when um, we were upstairs, we were talking about losing a pet. Yeah. Um, you recently lost your family dog. Yeah. And you were. You were talking to your daughters about the death of the dog and, and preparing for that. And the thing that, like, when I put myself in your shoes in that moment and think about trying to be there for my family at the same time that I'm grieving the loss of something so important to me, like, I can't, I can't, I find it really hard to do that. Like, it, it makes me emotional thinking about it. And I'm curious how you, because I know that you work a lot with, with children, but... I'm curious how you support like parents who are going through that experience of mm. trying to be there for their children too, because yeah. I imagine that's an incredibly mm. challenging thing. So what's really neat about this part of the conversation is probably one of the most valuable lessons, if you can believe it, I've learned in, in environments of grief was from a sick boy podcast. If you can believe oh. it. No. <laughs> and uh, I wish I remembered. I can start to believe. I wish I remembered the mom's <laughs> name who was on your podcast that lost, uh, lost their child. Do you remember? Uh, there's been a few, actually. But, yeah. I, so I remember, Jer, I remember you. Uh, oh, Estelle. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah, it was okay. Estelle. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I know who you're talking and, about. So, like, what, was, what was her? Estelle Thompson. And exactly. her, uh, it was her infant. Yeah. So uh, it was Tommy. Tommy. Tommy, who died. So, and like she was telling the story about like waiting for the ambulance, right? Yeah. And like how, like, even though it was just like, let's say 10 minutes, like it felt like hours and like, and you know, you were emotional in that and, and saying like, I just can't imagine what that would be like. And she like interrupted and said like, you can, basically she said something along the lines of like, you can't imagine you just choose not to. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. like 
human psychology is a pretty fascinating thing. I think we are capable of imagining what it would be like to be in the experience of losing something or someone you love and having to, you know, and truly in an act of service to your own grief, help the people you love the most. Und- oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> help the people you love the most feel safe as a part of that experience, mm. right? What, and what, so, so like, going through that with my kids, and it's, like, the individual part, like, with... So, like, and this was just last weekend. Uh, like, we lost our family dog of 13 years. Like, we made the decision to, to put Brian down and... And like Not you me. know, it's, and it's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian we made the decision, Brian, and it's happening tonight. Brian, Erica, lock the Brian doors. With a y. <laughs> lock, lock the doors. Al Gore is here. <laughs> <laughs> We're putting him in a vat. <laughs> it's happening. Uh, and so <laughs> we, uh, but yeah, like so we entered into this, uh, like you know, and it's it's funny because I talk a lot about in these environments of grief where like. Uh, there's something called anticipatory grief and anticipatory grief is when we have the opportunity to prepare for loss and mm-hmm. but preparing for loss is considerably different than being ready right so like you know brian was a bulldog uh <laughs> the the uh Alex, yeah, I mean, we'll call him richard that was his middle name because <laughs> he was funny. a dick so richard brian with a y yeah, yeah brian with a y uh so bry guy he uh <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so good. But like, so like we go through these like cognitive moments of like preparing, right? Like, you know, he's a bulldog. Like he only probably should have lived 10 to 11 <laughs> or 12 years. So we were on borrowed time, you know, as much as we like to say things like that. And, uh, and so we were prepared to make these decisions, which is completely different than saying we were ready for when it happened. Mm, yeah, right. Yeah. And then modeling that behavior to our kids. Our oldest daughter, Harper is 11. Yeah. Um, she was at a friend's for a sleepover. Our middle daughter, Dylan, is uh, she was at a friend's for a fire. And, and then our son, Bowen, is six, and he was home with us. But um, And so, like, going through those experiences and, like, being very intentional about each of those relationships. And, and like, it becomes so meaningful because, like, here's the thing that is really important to me, you know. And, and it's not at all to reduce that experience for our family, but there is a, to me, there's a difference between human life and animal life you know mm. like that those are not the same things um so what i know as a part of that experience is it was an opportunity for us to teach our kids that even though when things we love or people we love die is going to hold incredible amounts of emotions it doesn't have to be scary and we can do that by creating these like predictable conversations by leaning into the discomfort of that and like you know as the adults allowing emotion to be present you know that dogs don't just go away like it wasn't like a brian didn't run away nothing like we didn't wake up and he was gone kind of thing right you know like there was a process to this and we which is which is like a very common i mean like that was the deal with with me growing up it was like the farm dog went to the farm right yeah so many farms if anybody could figure out where that fucking farm is like there is an incredible amount of dogs and and it always and it always kept on getting farther away right as i got older it was like when i was like four it was like it's four hours away it's too far and then when i was like 10 it was like it's 12 hours away hey i found out at 34 years old that the Farm was a farm, and uh, I was I was pretty upset to be honest with you. I mean, you 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 called it. I said Eric, my wiener dog. I was you know I was like uh, I was like ten, twelve. Eric was sent to a farm, and a couple of years after that, I was like fifteen. I said to my dad, I said, Dad, 
when we sent Eric to the farm, did you put him down? And my dad said, fuck, no, Jesus, God, no. We gave him to a farm. It was, it was out, it's way out in the valley, though. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, great. And then I told that story when I was like <laughs> 28. And uh, so I think it was you. you was Taylor, Taylor was like, yeah. oh, my God, dude, no, your dad put that fucking dog down. And I went, no, 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 no. I know, I know, I know, no, no, no. I know what you're thinking. I, I asked my dad that. He said no. <laughs> At 28, I said, dad, Eric, farm, you send him to a farm? My dad went, yeah, yeah, we give him to a farm. I was like, all right, great. Fast forward to this year, uh, literally a few weeks ago, I was hanging out with my, my, my girlfriend, Kira, and I was like, yeah, Eric, you know, he was a sweetheart, little wiener dog died. Uh, or sorry, no, yeah, we gave him to a farm. And, uh, and Kira went, gave him to a farm? He's dead. And I went, no, <laughs> no, no, no. no. You guys don't know my dad. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm 34. I, I fucking had this conversation at 28, Taylor, and I asked my dad. My dad said no. And she goes, no, 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 for real? Your dad, the, no, your dad's lying to you. And I went, no, watch. And I text my dad. I go, dad, be very honest with me. I'm 34 years old. <laughs> when you gave Eric to the farm, did you actually give him to a farm or did you put him down? My dad went, LOL. We put him down. We didn't know what to say. And I went, fuck. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, you bastard. I have Wait. I have no idea where these generational trauma and inability to process emotion tendencies come from. Yeah. You know, it's the weirdest thing. Fucking shit. Went it actually bar. fucked me up. We were at a bar and I was like, I think I gotta go. But back to your back to your meaningful Yeah, the meaningful, yeah. Uh, I don't know where we I wanna there was something that you said that I that I thought was very interesting. Which, which was that there's a big... And, and the reason I think this is interesting is because I've dealt with grief on both sides of a, of a pet. You know, Bigby died last year, and, and, and that was one of the yeah, hardest it's a, things... It's I've, fucking real grief. It's one of the hardest 100%. things I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And my father-in-law passed away mm -hmm. uh, pretty much around the same time. And the thing that you mentioned was, like, there's a big difference between a, between a pet dying and, and a human dying. And specifically in, in like regards to the ways that your your children are relating to this. And I just want to know like what your thoughts are on that, like on the difference between a pet and a human. I, I just think human life trumps animal life always. And, and that isn't to reduce the importance of animals. Like we're animal loving people, mm -hmm. but human life always trumps animal life mm -hmm. to me. And in, so, what, in, what, in what regard? Like how? Uh, I just think human life is more valuable than than animal life. Always, like if I if like I could have had Brian for for thirteen years, and if I had to make the decision between saving him and a stranger, I would save a stranger every time because mm. the right. two are not comparable. Mm. I can oh, is yeah. a dog I can can't lend go some to like, like the office and stuff like that. Well, I like just think yeah, and like yeah, and I like it. And it's tough because like because animals. You know, I, I like I saw your preview about how you feel about cats. So like, I, <laughs> so I'll stick yeah. to the dogs. I actually really love yeah. cats. Yeah. That was a, I think um, if I think anybody when, came here just to fucking hate me about well, the cat, yeah. Thing, yeah. That's, I think when you're um, worked. with uh, with, with the, I think the difference the difference I think just lies in because I up until recently had only ever had the experience of like of of having a pet, and I mean that in like a familial sense. Like I just had a daughter five months ago, and now like things have. Like my my like brain has changed around that. Yeah. Right? And and so and so like before five months ago, I would have probably heard you say that and go like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like I wouldn't have been able to really wrap my head around it so much. And now I kind of just think like we just have 
the, the relationship that we have with humans is just so much more complex. It's so, yeah. There's so many more dimensions mm -hmm. to your relationship that you have with a human. Like, like I, like when I travel and I'm away from somebody, I actually don't miss them as much as I miss my dog. Because my dog's relationship is so one-dimensional. We communicate by me mm. petting him. You can't like, text your I dog. I can't text my dog. I can't call my dog and have a conversation with him. But mm -hmm. when I'm away, I can, I can communicate and have this like, multi-dimensional relationship with a human that I can't have with the dog. And I think that's... Well, I, I just downloaded when, this app, and it, you can uh, talk to your dog through the app. And oh, so, wow. like, go oh, fuck yourself. I can fucking text Donut, and I'll do it right now. <laughs> Jeremy, I, I miss to, you, buddy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I and I, I think just to quickly add context to that, though, like the other thing, like to be mindful of, is just this my perspective of again. I've spent my entire adult life sitting at tables watching people say goodbye to yeah. the people yeah. Yeah. that they've they've loved the most in their yeah. in their life, and not always they don't always love the people they're saying goodbye to, but mm -hmm. mostly, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. And so I think a, a part of my lens is just really rooted in the space of like, and and again, like trying to bring that back into that uh into that talk about like how we approached you know or not even approach just how we like experienced losing brian with with our children yeah. was like under this deep recognition you know what like here's the sad reality of life you know and you touched on earlier 100 percent of the people here are going to die at some point in time in their yeah. life right and so here's what i know for my kids at some point in time they're going to lose somebody a person much closer to them and much more important to them than than yeah than, than their dog like mom or dad right I, so like yeah. and like or or worse like children die and it's yeah. fucking terrible yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. and it's incredibly sad and yeah. grandpas and grandmas die and aunties and uncles die and moms and dads die and and so the thing about what you know is unique about like say that setting of grief and like what's really wonderful let's say about like having this good experience in the midst of bad things happening. It's also like we learn from it. And so like for my kids, they will recognize that, you know, the parallels of grief are going to be whether it was like this, this family dog that we very much loved or whether it is their grandma or their grandpa or mom or dad or whoever the relationship yeah. is, they're going to, they're going to be able to rely on that experience to better understand and have more predictable emotion, which is not meaning it's going to make it easier for them, but it is going to make it more predictable for them, which yeah. typically provides us some levels of comfort, yeah. you know, when we enter into these unpredictable experiences. I, I can't imagine how important that is as like a, a quote unquote teachable moment for a kid too. And, and I, I think about like my own personal experience with like, I didn't have a dog growing up because my dad, didn't want me to go through the experience as a kid grieving the loss of a dog because that was his experience that he had as a kid. And, mm. and like, I've resented him for that and a bunch of other things, but like, but, uh, <laughs> but that's like one of the things from when I was a kid. And, and didn't let me eat frosted flakes, <laughs> motherfucker. He wouldn't let me get cryogenically frozen. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think like, so when you talk about that moment, I think this is why when I imagine, like if I imagine myself to have kids, and like trying to be there to support them going through the loss. Like I have, and this is going to turn into a bit of a therapy session for me, but like I have this like sort of like perfectionism desire to like want to make that the best experience for them. But also I'm grieving at the same time. And like, I, I'm just, but like, like if the I think of that idea, I think of like myself just breaking down in that. Right. But the answer, but the, you've already answered the question for yourself, which is like the most perfect way for your kids to experience that is for them to watch you experience it organically. Mm. Right. 
that like that you don't filter your response to losing this person or thing that mm. you love that you let them see you in the entire vulnerability of that yeah. experience because vulnerability <coughs> creates a connection once we're connected we build trust once we build trust yeah. we like build on to yeah. relationship and if we can add on to that part of the relationship like really magical shit what, what is not it, to hide all that though, because we what, hide right. we hide that we, we which push is it. because that was the behavior that was modeled yeah. to us right what, what is it though <laughs> about like that that scares because like in a way the easiest thing to do is to like sort of give in to this those those feelings of like like allowing yourself to truly experience the feelings that you're feeling, but it's so hard for us to do that. Like, yeah, because it's, so it's really fucking to... scary because nobody's ever shown us how. Mm. So right now what we're doing is like we're, I think, really overcoming these like, uh, you know, generational experiences. And, and like there was a point in time that emotion didn't serve us well. Like if you if you lived in the periods of like world war and, and, and famine and, you know, like and again, like speaking in these North American experiences of like the Great Depression and these things like, well, there wasn't an incredible amount of space to experience emotion because that directly correlated to survival. Well, like, that's just not the case anymore, right? And so, but we're still working out of these mental capacities where I think a lot of, and it's just so we're, we're kind of really overcoming, in my opinion, you know, these, like, things that were, like, experiences attached to, like, what are, you know, well, that's what our parents did or that's what our yeah. grandparents did or yeah. great-grandparents did. And now we're going, like, well, fuck, hold on a second. Like, it's not the same as it was in the 30s. Mm. So the way that we communicate with our children likely should be different than what we were doing because you know like so we went through two to three generations of i think where emotion was was communicated you know in a very specific way because nobody questioned what the people they did that uh that came before them ever did right and like now we're in this like revolution of people questioning mm. what people did before them yeah right and i think emotion is just a part of that where we're going like okay well you know, like one of my favorite quotes is Maya Angelou. We do the best we can until we know better. But then when we know better, we need to do better. Well, we know better. We know that not buying our, you know, not allowing our children childhood pets under this impression is going to save them heartache down the road is a complete facade. <laughs> like, that, you know, yeah. because like you're just what you're doing is you're not a, you're you're pulling away the opportunity of relationship, meaningful relationship, which for my kids the relationship with that bulldog who was there when each of them came home from the hospital, like, like he was yeah. there longer than they were there, right? So like he is yeah, a fuck. staple of right. their childhood. So for them, likely the closest relationship that they have lost in their life, yeah. right? Huge fucking deal. So when we can now like turn that into an experience where they're able to participate in that, right? And we did, briefly talked about how like grief is the emotion that we experience attached to loss mourning is where we start to participate in that emotion emotion yeah. so when we light the fire and we lay brian down in front of the fire and like we bring in some yogurt and like bring him some peanut butter and we bring him all the things that he loves and you know we spoon feed him for the one hour before we Ooh. have to go to the vet kind of thing right and like they're there laying with him and like and like it was like you know and, and i think what it does is again it just shows him like like we're crying and they're crying and we're laughing and you know mm. and he fucking farts and it stinks and like it's like <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah, him yeah. like this yeah. is in all of his glory right like everything <laughs> that made him who he was to our family was a part of that experience and like I think like now you like take that and like you remodel that into uh, again and into me which is a much more you know eventually a much more meaningful space of saying goodbye to a person yeah. that you love at a very high level. And like, 
it's just muscle memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Giving them that like, experience so well, that when it now comes because to like that now point, now we're allowed yeah. to participate. Now I know, like, I know I'm allowed to participate, yeah. and I know it's okay for there to be emotion, and I know it's okay to you know to be present for these things, and that the adults in my life are also going to do these things, right? Like it, I think it fucking changes the entire trajectory of how kids yeah. walk through hard things. Mm, totally. Yeah. I love that. I, I, you know, this is like, uh, I think something that probably hits close to home for a lot of people. Um, maybe a lot of people here, you know, like the death of a pet is, it is, it really truly is one of those like moments that are simultaneously filled with deep heartbreak yet like profound beauty, which I think is, you know, something we were talking about upstairs before we started this, Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, and like the words for it are like, What's really unique about grief is grief is one of the very few environments you can experience contrasting emotion as yeah. not just a part of the same experience, sometime as a part of the exact same moment, right? So now, like, refocusing that mentality into, say, like, you know, one of the unique parts about being a funeral director, like, the moments of, like, my, my brother's here with me tonight, so, like, like we've shared grief in the past. Like, like I remember when we got to to Arizona, like our grandpa passed away unexpectedly in, in Arizona and like the uniqueness of what I do, like there's like, there's a bit of a story to this, but for the sake of time, I'll like, I'll, I'll be mindful, but, but I flew to Arizona to embalm my grandpa. And, uh, and I remember like walking into that prep room, like scared to see him. Yeah. Uh, and like walking in and like seeing his lifeless body and like, completely crippled that this person that meant so much to me was gone and seeing it for the first time and like full of gratitude that I was going to have the opportunity to take care of this man that helped take care of me my whole life. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I believe with my whole heart, you can feel both of those emotions at the highest level in the exact same moment. Now I want to ask you before we, before we move on to the second segment, I want to ask you one thing, which is that, Again, coming back to the fact that you were a ding dong and fucked up with your tests <laughs> and somehow you ended up doing this for a living yeah. and now looking at you now and going, wow, you, you're fucking really nailing this. Well, and, you wanted to like- and you have like a great perspective on death, but you were kind of, you, you were kind of plopped into this life. Right. So where, at what point did you develop this ability to, to look at death from this perspective that like a lot of us have a really fucking hard time managing and is it yeah. is it is it just I think through... it's just from the privilege of being invited into the conversation yeah. you know from the space of being trusted to time and, time, time and time and time, time again. again yeah and like and never you know assuming that allows me a seat in people's grief you know like like it's that you ask for permission to join yeah. them in that space that you know like that it is an invitation and and that we are trusted and I think that's a, a really incredible privilege that will sit with me like for, for the rest of my life. And, and so eventually where this got me was just like, you know, one of the things I love about grief is like, you don't get together and talk about bullshit stuff. Like I don't, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if your team won that week and it just doesn't matter what the weather is, like none of that stuff matters. And so like you enter into like the probably like I end up having deeper conversations with people than, than their own families even have with them. Right. And like within days of meeting them or within hours of meeting them. And like, so it's just like this really incredible thing. And so eventually 
you know, uh, like Quinn's going to hop on here a little bit later. He even helped me with the wording on this. Like eventually you start to, you know, see these patterns and you start to like, it's calculable, you know, like what we're learning in those moments. And so just really started to learn how to pay attention to that and like mm. brought these like non-tangible emotions into the space and was able to start creating like tangible lessons of being able to reapply it into other environments that we're maybe going to experience on a more regular basis. And so, yeah, and, and like I think the part of that that like kind of became this sort of passion of mine or like with this fire with me was just really learning to help kids because I've always felt like kids were like the lost voice in grief, like where they, totally. you know, like you yeah. know, it's just like because what we do is like we like to shelter them, right? Like it's yeah. just oh, like yeah. get behind me. Let me absorb yeah. this pain for you. No fucking dogs. And, uh, <laughs> right, I'm going to absorb this for you. And uh, and so it was just like I got really engaged in this idea of like, you know what, the, maybe the best way for me to serve the 75-year-olds in the room is to have the conversation with the five-year-olds because they don't know how to do it, Yeah. right? And so like leaned into that. And so like you go back to these like years of me like, making some pretty poor decisions, you know, I'm fine with that. And, uh, but like, so like, but now look at that and look at the things that like when I was expected to like plot out what I wanted to do at 16 years old, which is still a ridiculous expectation. I wanted to be a teacher or a youth pastor. Now, when I look back, I'm teaching kids Mm -hmm. about some of the most important things of their life. And the other, so like the universe just like brought me and landed me in the space that was completely outside of anything I would have ever expected, but I'm almost doing exactly what I wanted to do. The other point about like speaking to kids about it, because I'm sure there's like maybe some people here tonight that have kids and, and when talking to kids about anything tough, it's like always fucking hard. And I want to like, I want to sort of relate this to like talking about sex with children, Mm -hmm. which for for a lot of people, that's like a really tough thing to do. We don't know how to do it. And one of the things that I, I had a conversation with someone recently about talking about sexuality with children and the importance of sex, like sexual education with children, yet a lot of, a lot of, I mean, I, I'm speaking for the three of us, but I'm sure the three of us probably didn't really get a, a sexual education. Like, it just no. didn't fucking exist. My dad taught me sex ed. Yeah, he was like, the teacher. And, oh, and like, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. Christ. Like the actual teacher. Listen Fuck. to this in the, classroom. in the classroom. Yeah, in the classroom. Yeah. My dad in the classroom talking about Listen, we're getting a little off topic, but like, <laughs> fuck it, worth it. Uh, Condoms. Yeah, no, better. Uh, <laughs> talking about like, st- you know, stimulation. Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay, well, hey, now entering that's... into this conversation. Yeah, so here's. The I mean, metaphor. that sucks that your dad had to yeah. talk to you about that, but also uh, pretty cool. great that you right. got that in, I mean, in school as an education. Just, that's you know, great. Leaned right into the yeah. idea that boys were more like microwaves, like you could quick cook things up quite quickly. <laughs> Where women were like like crockpots. <laughs> was this it was the metaphor? Of a slow cook. Was this the metaphor this that is he my used? metaphor? This oh, is your metaphor. Like, I am never oh, fucking sleeping at home. I'm again. never using a microwave again. <laughs> Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. The, the, the notion of sexual education to children, 
uh, you know, the, the, there's like a question that we've heard a lot of times on my other podcast where it's like, where, what, like, at what age do you start talking about sexuality with kids? And and one of the things that we learned with someone from someone on the show was that um, as soon as they know how to speak, mm-hmm. that's how early. But the difference is is that you cater the language to their ability to process what it is that you're talking to them about. Right. And so, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, you're not going to talk to a, a, a four-year-old about stimulation and what the fuck stimulation is and ejaculate and whatever, yada, yada. You're going to talk to them about, like, you know, their, their body parts and things that make sense to them that they can, like, comprehend. When it comes to death, is there a similar, like, do you take a similar approach where it's like, okay, a four, you know, your youngest child mm-hmm. that had to deal with the death of the, the your, you know, of Brian... What did you did you have a different conversation with the you know because I know that your children are all at different ages so like was the conversation different from one child Completely. to the next mm. so like the the words that I would put to this is almost identical to what you're saying I talk about like when we talk to children it's important to use what I would call age appropriate truths yes there you so go. it always has to be the truth it cannot be a version of the truth so it always has to be the full truth but age appropriate yes right. And so, like, having that conversation with Harper, my 12-year-old, is completely different than Dylan, my 10-year-old, and, you know, and then, which is completely different than with our six-year-old son, Bowen. And like, by, by truth, do you mean, like, in the sense that I can't remember an example that's more suited to, like, a, hu- a, a human example, but, like, the sort of human equivalent to the lie that, you know, the dog went to the farm. Like, right. that, they, yeah. that they sort of make up this... That you know, so and so has has gone away, and a kid asks, "Well, you know, where did so and so go?" And so, they, they, just something yeah, gets yeah. made so up. So all three of my kids, the consistency that they had was, we said, "Brian is going to die." Mm. Death and dying are not scary words. It's how we talk about it that adds yeah. fear, right? Now, for another family, so, they might use they might say things that for other people might not be a truth, which is like Brian's going to go to heaven or doggy heaven or whatever. Right, like, right, right. Yeah. That's, I know. mean, if that's a belief, that's a different, that's yeah, a yeah, different, yeah. that's a different I think story. that, you know, the importance of, the, of that. But all dogs go to heaven. And what I want to say is that they're all going to heaven. <laughs> Brian went to fucking heaven. All right. And then it has nothing to do with belief. Right. <laughs> right. Thank you. That's why they made a movie about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so age appropriate truths, you know, like again, what however whatever belief system you follow or however you choose to yeah. I think it is speaking your truth fully to your kids yeah. at age appropriate yeah. levels, right? Yeah. And so now like the steps attach that again. Like the, there was quite a few parallels between my twelve year old and my ten year old. Um, but huge difference between that and, and to our six year old son, right? Yeah. What's the yeah. biggest difference? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest difference probably isn't even so much in the way that we explain it. It's how you choose to like meet them in that space. Right? Yeah. So like Harper just needed to be t- t- fucking outwardly sad. She's like me, like, Oh, like outward mm-hmm. emotion. Mm-hmm. Dylan holds more inward emotion. So it was just like, so Harper was just like, let her feed the dog, the yogurt, let her lay next to him. Let, you know, like just needed to create space for her to outwardly experience the entirety of that part yeah. of, of the day. Dylan was more like, you know, do you want to come and sit with me? Like, you know, like, 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 like physical touch, like embrace, like not talking a whole lot, but it was just like talking to her. So she felt like she knew what was going on mm. and things like we talked about, like when we go to the vet, right. When we get there, this is what to expect. We're going to go in and they have this room that we'll bring them into. And she goes, I'm just not sure if I want, to, I, I don't think I want to be there for that. I said, that's okay. You don't have to. I said, here's what I need you to know. First of all, no matter what happens tonight, Nothing we do is going to hurt 
hurt Brian. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I, the second thing I need you to know is that like, whatever you choose, if you choose to stay out, like they have like a little toy room there, like this, you know, if you want to stay out there with Bowen, uh, if you want to be with us, no matter where you are, my responsibility to you is to make sure that you feel safe. Yeah. Right. And so it was just like these, you know, and then like Bowen, our six year old just wanted to keep watching the fucking movie. Right. Yeah, like it was yeah, just yeah. like, why do you guys keep pausing the show? Yeah. And it's just like, okay, fuck it. Like leave the movie play, let him watch the movie. Cause yeah. you know, and like, but then what was really important about him being included was just like, he wasn't very active in like those moments of us saying goodbye. He wasn't active at all. in like those f- final moments of like watching Brian's life, like, you know, next to his body. Yeah. Um, and like, he was just kind of there and, but like he, he was included, but he was just there. Yeah. And then like, but then when we got home, it was just like, we got home and, and we put another log on the fire and it was just like, we poured a drink and we were going to have like this toast to Brian and, and, uh, and Bowen came in and he was just like, dad, I miss Bri. Oh. And, uh, I said, yeah, man, me too. And I said, can you like, can you tell me more? Like, what do you mean? Like, why do you miss him? Or what do you miss about him? And he said, well, I've just never seen mom and you so sad. Oh. Right. And it was just like, for me, like there was like such an, a fucking accomplishment that our six-year-old son that likely, you know, is on the charts for his inability to communicate um, was able to like put to words a really emotional environment or really emotional experience and like didn't have to carry that internally. Yeah. Right? Because like you, like for you, what if, what a fucking incredibly beautiful moment for not just for him, but like to learn to just like see and learn about your children and like learn about who they are. Like it's what you kind of spoke there. It it made me, it made me think of like love languages, you know, like everybody has their own love language. Some people like to be physically touched. Some people love, to be given words of affirmation. Some people love to be like, you know, have acts of service given to them. And so like in this moment of grief, you're seeing the like ways that they express themselves in a, in a way that's so tough and they're so young. And so you're seeing this like glimpse of this human. That's part of you. That's like part of how you. Yeah. And it's fucking beautiful. And and like it becomes really important because like you also have to remember too, like my definition of grief is that grief is our emotional and behavioral response to loss, not specifically to death. Well, my kids are going to walk through loss for the entirety of their life. And so this is still a, this is still a threshold of experience for them that like, Eventually, they're, you know, or my hope for them is that, you know, that that maybe they enter into meaningful relationship at some point. Yeah. But that also yeah. comes with heartache. Yeah. Right. You know, and or maybe something happens and, and you know, like it's just statistics like relationship is tough. Like yeah. I'm in a loving relationship with my wife, but like 50 percent of kids in the world experience the loss of a parent to divorce. Yeah. Well, what would happen if that was ever one of our kids? Right. Or what would happen if like, so it's just like all, or like, you know, Quinn and I talked about the differences in like the way that we grew up. Like I grew up in like, I only lived in one place my whole life and he moved around a lot. Right. And so it was just like, what's the, like, what is the grief attached to like, you know, knowing that like friendship is temporary in a, in a stance of you don't get too close to people because we're con- we're just gonna have to say goodbye again. To, yeah. So, to, to me, that that's the 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 most valuable part of going to therapy is understanding all of those sort of like micro experiences of loss, right? That mm. you have throughout your life, and then how to 
I feel like appropriately is the wrong word, but but like respond in a way that honors the experience. Um, my my therapist said the other day, I was talking about like being the best version of myself, and and she was like, "Can I?" And she never does this, but she was like, "Can I just pause you there for a second? And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And she was like, "Can I suggest a a different word than best?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah, I suppose so." And she was like, "What about?" the most honest version of yourself. And I just like started bawling. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh my God, yes. That's so true because it's so much easier to be you in that moment than to try to be something that you're not because you think that it's the right, right. thing. Mm. And then like, again, like going outward with that, like, you know, that most honest version of yourself. Well, if like you're, you know, if you choose willingly or unwillingly to introduce children into your life, right? You know, like, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I'll speak openly. She won't be listening to podcasts for a little while. So, like, we didn't plan on having Harper. Um, you know. You Harper, son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, regardless, like. We, what about your, what did your dad think? Yeah. After yeah. he gave you this whole sex education yeah. course. Yeah. Turns out I'm not the only <laughs> microwave in the house. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you wrap a condom around that microwave, boy. <laughs> so, um, but when we when we choose to invite like kids into our lives, right? Like when we choose to be responsible for somebody outside of us, right? So whether that's a like a, a partnership, like you know, a meaningful relationship, or whether that's children, whatever it is, you know, like at some point in time like that, what you realize is like that most honest version of yourself is all you have to offer, Yeah. right? So like when we go through these like incredibly vulnerable experiences, if we don't lead with the most honest version of what we have to offer that experience, the people around us know that. Like it's like this non-tangible thing that they pick up on. Like if you just come out as a version of yourself, like it's <laughs> they get it. Like they, mm. they pick up on it and it's not genuine. And like if it's not genuine, like... No, like it's going to impact the way everybody. Ooh, and I think probably the best, the best version. And I think that's a really great point that you made there, Bryce. I think that the best version of ourselves, what we think is the best version of ourselves, is on is oftentimes the thing that the thing that is actually creating the experience for like someone like our our kid to not see us experience the emotion because we think the best version of ourselves doesn't experience this emotion to the fullest, or that we're able to cope with something the best. Or right, because like I'll just like. I'll save my emotion for, you know, when I go to bed tonight or when, like, when the door is closed mm -hmm. because, you know, like, it's okay for them to see part of it, but then, you know, once they're in bed, then I'll create some space for myself. And I think, I just think we can do so much better than that for, yeah. like, the, for all of the people in our life, right? You know, like, so. Yeah. I, I want to say, first of all, thank you for, um, for being so, uh, open and honest and vulnerable with us in sharing something that's so raw and yeah. so soon. And, and I want everybody here to know this is what you should expect from your funeral professionals. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's not totally. coffin dropping or whatever the yeah, fuck. Yeah, that coffin, flops, coffin flops, coffin flops. Don't fuck it up. That was not an accurate representation <laughs> of, of what you should expect yeah. when you trust someone to care for your loved one. Uh, and uh, yeah, anyways, I'm just like incredibly grateful to be invited into these spaces. I feel like we didn't talk about any of the shit that we We didn't even out. touch on we a did. fucking so single thing like we wanted perfect. to. I guess I'll be back again. But this, uh, yeah, this is, this and we really can talk about how to, you know, how it's a real act of love yeah. to have these conversations. I think we should do this. We should hop on again yeah. and talk about like the act of love that it is 
to enter into this place of discomfort with, yeah. you know, like with your partner, like, you know, and, and with your children or mm. with whoever the most important people are in your life yeah. and talk about like, what does it look like? Not if I die, but when I die. Well, yeah. like, you yeah. know, like, you know, I'm making well, a will. I'm making, you know, we had right. our daughter. I'm making a will right now. And yeah. then yeah. we're like, we're so that's sort of prompting a lot of those conversations of like, what happens like yeah. and thinking about the you know thinking about the the shit that you don't expect to happen yeah so we should probably talk about it on air but like i'll also just say just so i don't forget like if you enter into that space prior to like us reconnecting we should just hop on a facetime with you yeah and, and the wife are you yeah. married yeah. yeah so with you and your wife and like just lean into it yeah. because like i think it's an a really incredible thing that we can do for these people that we love is to say yeah. like this is what it looks like when when I die I want you to dig through my ashes and dig out my fucking knee hey. replacements <laughs> knees, and know. put them up because they look like spaceships yeah, like that yeah, is yeah. a wish of mine because <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. sh- it is shocking the things like that you the, the <laughs> questions that you end up being like and you can be very even though we have like yeah. we talk about death all the time like all of a sudden all these questions I go holy fuck I don't know what the fuck I didn't think about, about that well, like yeah. we think like you know burial versus cremation is a pretty yeah. fucking intense yeah. conversation like how intense does it get when you have to look the person that you committed to for the rest of your life and either give them or not give them permission to re-enter meaningful relationship again mm, if you right, die. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, is that a decision you want them to make or is that maybe something that's really important for you to just give them permission now yeah. to say, if you find yourself in that space, yeah. like, I never want me to hold you back from finding a new type of love. Can you imagine, right? imagine how much of a bummer it would be, though, if they were like... Never. Yeah. <laughs> when I, I die, you will be a widow forever. I, we, I think we talked about this on like the last podcast where like you guys were just like, oh, you know, oh, when they fuck. come, I want people to laugh. I want them to do this. I'm like, I want everybody fucking crying in that room. Like, I want them to have never felt this type of fucking misery and pain in their life because I want them to have like had such a deep and meaningful relationship yeah. with everybody that's there that even though I've taught them and they'll know that they'll learn how to move forward with their grief, which is going to be different yeah. than moving on from their grief, that like their life does not feel like it could go on without me. Well, it's well, a good th- thing we kept it pretty light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's it, you guys. I mean, no big deal. Now we're going to get into the really good shit. Give Jeremy a round of yeah. applause. This is a, it. I mean, talking about death in this way, it's so fucking great. Keep that round of applause going. Hardcore Edmonton sound. Let's go for Quinn Fury, who is also a funeral home director. And uh, a, and master, a master, a master of the restorative arts, uh, master. master of restorative arts and embalming with, if you don't know what restorative arts are great, because we're about to dive into it deep. And this is something that again, because we're coming up to spooky times, this is like right up my alley. Um, but I'm sure that Quinn doesn't look at it that way because he's like, it's my fucking job. It's not Halloween every day. You <laughs> fucking idiot. Yeah, it'll be Tuesday tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Quinn, uh, give yourself a little introduction. Uh, where, what, yeah. what do you, what do you do? Uh, where, you, where, where's your, um, I know that you're a funeral home director. What's your, your home? Um, so yeah. Um, Quinn Fury, funeral director and bomber. Allegedly, I, uh, look after Glenwood Funeral Home in Sherwood Park. Uh, for a number of years, I specialized strictly in embalming and, um, then kind of sub-specialized into, uh, what we call, well, restorative art is kind of the, the catch-all for after the embalming when you're kind of getting the, the deceased ready for final viewing. There are sometimes certain situations where, you know, due to trauma, disease, that the, the, the deceased 
needs to be able to be presented in a way that's not distressing to the family. Right. Like if someone got in a motorcycle accident, it was well, very exactly. traumatic. Like, you know, blunt force trauma yeah. or, you know, they weren't discovered for a number of days. Oh, yeah. Or, oh, wow. Mm, wow. Yeah. You know, right. Things right. like that. So, Fuck, we're you know, like, emb- like embalming basically covers. Crime scene investigator unit, like <laughs> CIVCU. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, whatever. Okay, so the law shit. and order. It was uh, a lot. Of, it's a lot of words in the acronym. Yeah, right. But yeah, it's, I, it's usually that scene in the show where they pull the the sheet back and then the rookie cop throws up. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Right. That's like. Yeah. But actually, yeah. when I started, because uh, as we talked about earlier, like all my family lives abroad in England except for my immediate family. Cheerio. So mm-hmm. no, no idea. Like the first funeral I was at was I was employed. Like I just I was working. First funeral you ever went to? Yeah. So when you talk about death phobic, wow. I, had, I had no idea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for years when I was in the embalming lab, every time, you know, unzip the body bag, I always had this, like, tingling anxiety in the back of my head. And uh. it, it, it literally was like... Uh, that's the spirit. No. Holy ghost. Tickling the back of your neck. You know, like cognitive dissonance. It's like what you think is going to happen versus what happens. And that's where the anxiety lives. Is yeah, like yeah, in yeah, that yeah. gap. Yeah. I was never sure. I was terrified I was going to unzip the body bag, see something, and just throw up. Right. Even though I had no, like, it never happened before, and it never did happen. But for that first couple of years, you just don't know what to expect. Did it ever almost happen? No, <laughs> although every embal- think about every that. well, every embalmer has their thing. You know, there's a there's like for me, it's like <laughs> mine's vomit. Yeah, like, when somebody throw like I I've 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 dealt with decedents that have yeah. been like smashed up in every which way, or they you know like advanced states of decomposition. Yeah. If my dog throws up, or when my dog throws yeah. up, or my cat, and there's a hairball, like I'm just like, oh. which is so <laughs> interesting. My my girlfriend's like a drain uh, hair, drain my, hair. I'm good. You're good with drain hair. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. My, my my girlfriend's a CVICU nurse, so she's a, she's a nurse in the 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 intensive care unit for cardiovascular surgery. And the other day, she was like, uh, "I was like, how was work today, babe?" She was like, "How was work today?" I was like, "No, nah, we talked about penises and cum. It was really fun." Mm-hmm. And then she was like, "And then I was like, how was work for you?" And she was like, "Well." We had a patient come in, and you know he was just got out of surgery, but they couldn't close him up, so I just had to sit there for twelve hours watching his open cavity chest and just saran wrap over it with the heart beating, and I was like, "Oh, oh my God, what?" <laughs> I talked about penises and cum. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, it was nuts. And I was like, all right, cool. I got this blackhead on my chest. Can you pop it? And she was like, oh, my God. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's everyone, your everyone's thing? Got their like, thing. Everyone's it's the one thing. thing. It's like you can watch a dude's heart beating. But as soon as I have a pimple on my fucking neck, you just yeah. want to hit the road. So do you. So, OK, I, I feel I'm getting I get the sense of this is what I'm building in my head that. Right. So I've got a friend who just who just um, who just got. Uh, invited to fa- fly fighter jets, which, like in the military and in pilots, how I understand it is, is this like, Steve? yeah, oh yes. wow, cool, and it's like, and it's like, it's kind of like the the thing that people are working towards, and you gotta like, right. you gotta build and build and build and build and right, until, right, until yeah, you get yeah. there. Yeah, is is dealing with this like intensity of mm. you know decomposition with things that for especially the average person, obviously the average person who's not dealing with this on a daily basis, dealing with Hopefully death not. or anything is that, that, that is a, a sh- it's a, sh- it's, it would be shocking even in the most reserved sort of States that you might experience. How do you get 
into this role and then yeah. how do you then get into the work of dealing with how do you level like, up right yeah, how right. do you how do yeah. you level up how do you fighter jet yeah it's it's embalming it's a little <laughs> bit of uh how do you fighter jet embalming <laughs> i like that it's a little bit of uh compartmentalization so you know whenever you're looking at a pr actually here's some good advice for everybody when you have a big problem that seems like a just a mess of of tangled you, you just start taking little bits and you're like okay that is gonna need that that's gonna need that i'll deal with that later and, <laughs> and you basic you know you start picking it apart you know uh white stripes little acorn i think the song I is fucking they, they love that, that song opening so blur. much yeah you know, uh, collecting her acorn, she exactly put them in like the, any big problem can be broken down into little mm -hmm. chunks that mm -hmm. you can deal with. And embalming, really, you know, you're looking at preservation of tissue. Like that's that's the primary kind of. Well, if you want to, so it's sanitation, preservation, and restoration. So those are the three tenets yeah. of embalming. Because so, one of the things Jeremy said in the conversation that we had, he mentioned how. Like there was a body, and they just started slapping like, like, Emo like emollient like, cream. Cream, like yeah, yeah. So like, how, yeah. Like, so what? A body is, dies. How quick is that shit getting dehydrated? Uh, depends if it's summer is where you are. Oh if wow. You're up in the mountains. <laughs> if you're in Alberta, if you're in Arizona, if you're in BC. I mean, if you're in BC, that shit's wet for fucking days. Yeah, and you days. don't want you don't want humidity because bacteria growth, right? Ooh, like, yucky. Oh, yucky! And maggots. temperature. But what if you're in like desert? What if you're like Drumheller, <laughs> fucking just like that? Being and that's up? what the uh, the emollient cream does. Technical term. Uh, it's basically like yeah, it's just cream anyway. But uh, what it does? Is Can like you get that at Shoppers? <laughs> I don't know actually. <laughs> I don't think so. It doesn't seem all that different from facial cream. I don't know if we're just being sold a bill of goods on it. But really, all you need is... be good for someone what, on Accutane. What, what you really like, need is right. just something to stop the, the... You know, like when you get air swipe, when you get air movement across your tissues, um, it dehydrates. So, like, out of the corners of your eyes, your lips, mm -hmm. like, they'll dehydrate a lot faster than, like, your cheek or your elbow. Are you a makeup artist? Te uh, Mac would be Mac is like fucking yes. knocking on his door every day. They're like, come on in. Actually, a lot of the skills. So when I was growing up as a kid, um, I moved around a lot. So you, you kind of have like different hobbies that you pick up because you're al alone. <sighs> <laughs> no, it was good. I like my childhood. Um, but I got into Halloween like big time. And the nice thing about Halloween is, you know, you get to dress up. And so I started hitting kind of like. Uh, I was, it was about 1989, 90. I don't know if anyone's that old here, but. I was, I was born in 1990. Oh, yeah, I was born a decade earlier. So <laughs> that's when like Halloween makeup started really taking off because normally I was just fat Dracula because you had to have a snowsuit under everything. <laughs> but I, they start coming out with these really cool lines of, of makeup, like Halloween makeup. And I really got into it. Like you'd stick stuff to your face, pull all the hair out. But I really got into it and it kind of stuck with me. And then I got into movies. And I got into, like, sci-fi and horror movies. And so I was always kind of, like, dressing up for Halloween. And then, you know, uh, you know, fast forward X number of years. And really, like, restorative art is kind of doing the reverse of movies. So, like, <laughs> you're making me look like a zombie or like, making me look like a monster. And restorative <laughs> art is trying to do the inverse. Wow. So I'm trying to make someone who looks, you know, discolored or there's, you know damage to the facial features and whatnot and i'm trying to go the other way to try and make them look you know Does as it, they did in life is restorative art um is that 
part of the embalming process, or is embalming itself something completely different? It's it's tied into it. Um, restorative art. The, the reason I like embalming as much as I do, or why I was drawn to it, is um, I, I got a university degree in biology. Sorry, I wasted fifty thousand dollars, and then um, <laughs> I needed a job, which you can't get with it. Bachelor of Science, by the way, if you're in your third year, I'm really sorry to let you know that. <laughs> it's not that you can't. I, I think my first job was asbestos abatement. Or I could go wash limos at the funeral home for the same amount of money. And I was like, I'm going to go wash some cars. I did amateur asbestos abatement uh, oh. a couple months ago. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No it's money. It's a lot of fun. I worked at a porn store. <laughs> you actually did. You Just really FYI. Did. You got it. I, I'm curious, though. Uh, so... This is making me think that I really know nothing about embalming because my yeah. the the thing that I thought embalming was right. was I thought that they they took you in and they yeah. hooked you up to like an IV and then they just ran fluid through your body until you had no more blood in you and then like there was like some sort of preservant and then yeah. maybe like pat you down with like Do you, you I, with I like thought of it I thought something? of it like not just an IV I thought of it like a tube that was like 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 as thick as this mic stand that's like sucking out all the goop on one end yeah, and then yeah. another end that's just mm. pushing in pink shit. Like Bane. And that's why yeah. I'm Bane. always amazed that like uh, movies and such don't like do... Because, I mean, funeral directors, we're not the richest bunch. Like to get a funeral director consultant, you need to like get them a coffee and a pack of smokes and, and they'll <laughs> tell you everything. But, and so it, it really amazes me that... Life hack. People don't know. Yeah. So if you want kind of the... Do you want the cold? I could give like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like give us like a quick. Okay, so do you like want perfect. like embalming history in thirty seconds kind of thing? Yeah. Sure. So you Fuck got yeah. natural embalming, which is you know peat bogs, uh, dehydration, like somebody's left out in the desert, right? Or they're frozen for ten thousand years, or they fall into a bog and they're preserved for yeah. ten thousand years. That that's natural embalming. It's just the elements pull off enough moisture fast enough that the tissues kind of stay more or less as they are. Then Whoa. the Egyptians didn't like the fact that grave robbers were constantly busting into their, you know, parents' graves and stealing all their stuff, and they were really distressed at how the, the, the deceased looked, right? Because natural process. So then they built these giant stone blocks called sarcophagi, and they put their deceased in that, but that they still desiccated, right? Are you saying that the Egyptians so, wanted to dress up their relatives to look presentable to grave robbers? No, they were just, it was more of like... They, they were doing that anyway. And the, they, were, <laughs> yeah. they were like, oh, we're going to bury mom yeah. with all her precious things. Come back a year later, somebody's busted in. Mm. Oh, no, someone stole all of mom's stuff. And look at the state of mom. Right. Like, they were really distressed to see their mother, like, you know... Uh, decomposed and Decomposed. Shit. Yeah. So then they put them in these big stone blocks, which are called sarcophagi, which is Greek for flesh eater, because they believe that Holy the flesh... fuck, that is sick. The stone was eating the flesh. Sarcophagi means yeah. flesh eater? Yeah, Sarcos is Greek for flesh and Phagus. Fuck yes, dude. That is so cool. <laughs> Holy shit. So then the Egyptians got into what was like the first stages of embalming. And that's basically, depending on how much money you had, um, they remove the, the organs, canopic jars. Canopic jars, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then basically bury you in. I've been, I've been what there. What the fuck? <laughs> You've seen some movies. Right. Yeah, canopic jars. That's uh, what I drink my water out of. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then basically happen, yeah. uh, bury you in salt for 70 days. Mm. And then afterwards wash you off and then bind you up and that's your mummy. Yeah. Uh, then there was a period, I think Egypt got uh, overtaken by Christians and then 
Uh, Sons of bitches. They basically said, you know, it's pagan, can't do that anymore. And then the anatomists started embalming again with arsenic and like, People say formaldehyde's bad. Formaldehyde's nothing. Like our, it was like arsenic and zinc and mercury. Yeah. It was terrible stuff. Salt sounds not too bad. Yeah, salt wasn't yeah. bad. And then yeah. they went salt like, chill. yeah, they kind of bumped it up. Uh, that kind of went away for a bit. And then the American Civil War happened. This is fascinating. I know this one. And that's this is great. yeah, like basically uh, the North wanted to ship the soldiers home for 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 their funerals because yeah. they were so far from home because you got to bear in mind like the trains were just kind of coming about so this mass transit suddenly was occurring whereas before you know it took you a little while to get appreciably far from home so uh mo- what's called modern embalming from 1861 although if you go to any funeral home you're likely to find technology from 1861 because we're a little <laughs> behind the times in some areas <laughs> Um, they, the, the Thomas Holmes, uh, pioneered the idea of arterial embalming. And that's basically where you get like a surface artery. And the one we most commonly use are your common carotids, just either side, because they're close to the heart. So you get good distribution. Because if you want to get preservative to every little piece of tissue in your body, why not use your vascular system? Because it's pretty good at doing that. And so you raise a vessel, you know, you're talking an incision, if you're decent, under your thumb width. <laughs> if you're decent. <laughs> it's kind of like the inverse male comparison there. You're just uh, talking sm- so much shit. The smaller, like the so better. Shade. Uh, and yeah, you insert uh, a cannula, which is, I have one here if you want to see it. Um, <laughs> and then what we do is we basically use a machine to uh, pressurize the vascular system because the vascular system hopefully is a closed system. If it's not, you've got problems. You must see leaks all the time. Yes. And actually, that's one of the signs that we know it's working because if somebody has a laceration and you start seeing seepage, it's like, okay, obviously... Then what's seeping out? Is it pink goo? No. And it's actually, you know what? Uh, Look up embalming chemicals. If you have your phones, look up embalming chemicals. It's the prettiest group of chemicals you'll ever see. They're like beautiful shades of pink and red and orange. Like they're really nice looking. (laughs) I'm just waiting for him to, I'll let him pull that out. Oh my God. Yeah. It looks like a really nice. This is what I look at when I'm sitting at my tattoo artist fucking shop. Oh yeah. Look at all these inks. If you decorated a nice upscale coffee shop in embalming chemical colors, everyone would be like, oh, this is really nice. Yeah. Very soothing. Yeah. Chromatech uh, pink. Yeah, I want some. Yeah, I want that on me now. <laughs> so what is this shit? Like I'm looking at. I, so I, 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 I the, don't prim- have the primary here, chemical is formaldehyde, um, which makes honestly, it's in the upper atmosphere. You've got a little bit of it in your blood right now. It's an organic compound. Uh, it doesn't accumulate. There's always talk of embalming chemicals seeping into the groundwater. It uh, it doesn't like to be in water or in. Yeah, you would say that. <laughs> I'll, Embalming I'll, I'll, is great. I'll acknowledge <laughs> it's great for the environment. It's not. I'm a lobbyist. It's not I? bad for the environment. Uh, I, I, so again, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> I'm really. I, I do have a bias. I'm really curious. So you, you mentioned like um, that there can be a leak when you yeah, yeah. when you like it's not a it sometimes it's not a closed system, and I'm wondering like I'm the type of person where like if I if I am reading the instructions to do something, 
nine times out of ten, I make a huge fucking mess. And like, right. I know that I would be the worst embalmer because I would start <laughs> something and I go, oh fuck, fuck, and then like, like caught like make, all of a sudden you just take the, the situation way worse. Like situation way worse. I'm curious. I want it because before we were talking. Um, Jeremy asked Thank you. about the 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 worst personal experience that that you've had, but also the worst professional experience uh, that you've heard about. Yeah, and so I'm curious. Can you talk about it? because you didn't answer this? No. But have you had a situation where you're like, oh fuck, 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 I'm fucking up this human body really badly. I better shove this tube in my own <laughs> yeah, butthole right. just to figure it out. <laughs> Thankfully, well, the the nice thing is, is like you know, with embalming, you just need to get enough formaldehyde into the area, right? Like. So even if you you mess it up vascular, you can you can like syringe in. You can put surface packs where you just like. Uh, in terms of messing up, I would say, well, it's a, it was. I'm gonna call it a teaching moment. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful teachable moment. Um, so embalmers are covered like head to toe in PPE. Like we have, or you should, <laughs> you should. Um, because formaldehyde burns like really bad when you get sprayed with it. Um, it's it it doesn't like it like like it burns like like oh it's yeah burns your skin oh yeah oh yeah it, it well because what it does is it basically like it gels your cells so it, mm. what what it, the, is so that the dehydration process no, is that what no, that does or close no? it can dehydrate what it really does is you know when you like you know when you die uh, <laughs> yeah 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 you know that time, yeah right? totes uh, so when, when, when you die, you know, your body's made up of cells and bacteria, because your immune system's no longer functioning, bacteria basically has like a key into a lock, pop, boom, pops a cell, yeah, it's like the consu- consumes yeah. the inside of the cell. Yeah. Uh, what formaldehyde does is essentially gels over all that so the bacteria can't punch in. Like a force huh. field. Yeah. Now, it doesn't oh, work shit, forever okay. because you have things inside your cell that also break it apart. So uh, modern embalming is always temporary in the long term but we can hold decedents for you know two to three months if we need to right um body worlds for example they actually yes yeah they actually replace your tissue with plastic wow so that's different like that's that's yeah kind of has anybody seen body oh Oh, has anybody seen body worlds like is it yeah round of applause no anyone we it's it's fucking crazy so Um, so body worlds i saw they Body we saw it in Halifax our, a while yeah. ago. Oh yeah, when we did the uh, when we did the charity thing. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. So all of those. So that's not a. So that's ultimately not a. It's it's basically it replaces all the the fluid in your body with like polymers, like plastic. Oh okay. So it's a perfect representation because there's no way like your brain could ever be held for any length of time because it's mostly like fat. But like the skin and, tissue yeah. and all and the muscle and everything. Yeah, that, like, that's legit. Like that's yeah. It's them. Yeah. Wow, um, but it's like plasticized is a, okay. Is a kind of phrase. Wait, so you but so, you were talking about when you when you fucked up because you were well, putting too so much formaldehyde. I had uh, we had changed uh, uh, a procedure like a, a piece of equipment that before didn't require water to pull fluid out because you basically have to remove fluid from the torso. <laughs> I love it, Jeremy's here going, hey, you fuckhead. <laughs> yeah. Probably similar. So I'm talking about aspirating. Yeah. So I was I was I was oh teaching God, two apprentices. God. So we're in our PPE, and you know, <laughs> this is so the importance brutal. of PPE. <laughs> and I'm aspirating. So basically, what we have to do is, you know, you get build up. Uh, say your lung, like you can embalm your lung, but you can't get anything in the lung. So if there's fluid in the lung, you got to get that fluid out. 
So no. you're aspirating, Whoa. so you're removing that with a with a small tube. And our previous aspirator um, didn't use water, so it never blocked. You can see where this is going. And so as I removed the the trocar from from the decedent, there was this kind of faint ringing bell in the back of my head, and I was like, that's not good. I didn't know something wasn't good. And I'd realized when it stops making noise, that means it's blocked up. Now, when these new aspirators block up, they actually reverse flow. So they go out the other way. Oh, fuck So instead me. of going in, they go out. Oh, no, no, so no. So I've got the trocar tip, and I'm staring at it, and the hopper, like where the, all the, you know, the water's going, is about two feet away. And it was, it was slow motion. And I remember, like, moving it over. I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it. And it, <laughs> it shot, and I knew I was wearing PPE, so I had to look. Oh yeah, straight angle at, at it. it. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise Take it, it on. Yes, it, yeah. it, sorry, it go behind my mask. Yeah. So I had to like look straight at it and just whap. Oh. And, and that's got, all the stuff that was you? just What was in the whap? What was in the whap? Yeah. It feels weird to say whap now. <laughs> it does. Whap is different now. <laughs> it used to just be the sound of a noise. <laughs> Still but what is, was in I that guess. wet ass pussy? Let's go. Uh, I'm gonna say that. Uh, <laughs> oh you, Jesus Christ! <laughs> you don't want to be covered in it. Yeah. No. Which was a really good teaching moment for the apprentices. Sure. I turned to them yeah. and I was like, "See, this fuckers? is why you wear yeah. PPE." This yeah. is why I did that completely on yeah. purpose. Can I have the mic for a yeah, yeah. I'll give you the unfiltered version of that experience because <laughs> I had like almost identical. And it was when I was apprenticing. I was the apprentice. Under Quinn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were there going, oh, yeah. Oh. And, uh, and so, yeah, basically it's like to simplify that into, you know, terminology that makes more sense to me. An aspirator is basically this, like, you know, this tube that goes into, like, we have what's called our thoracic and our abdominal cavity. And that's how we treat those two cavities, right? And first part of treatment is going in and like removing any of the additional ways. So like fluid on the lungs, the right atrium of the heart holds blood. Uh, like I feel know. like my body would be a real pain in the dick with this aspiration shit with the well, fucking yeah, CF. Yeah. And so, and then you, you know, you go up and then you go into the thoracic and then you go down into the abdominal, yeah. you know, and into the intestines, like cleaning out like the different parts of like the digestive tract. Oh, fucking and hell. So Jesus I Christ. was cleaning the digest. I was doing abdominal cavity. Oh, no, no, no. I know where And it was going. just like, so basically imagine this trocar hooked up to like, call it a, like a, a hydro aspirator, which is basically a water-based vacuum, right, to help pull those things out. And it, like you said, if it plugs, it basically reverse flows. And uh, like there's like this rubber uh, hose goes onto the edge of the, or onto the end of the trocar. It was like mine built up so much fucking pressure. Like by the time I realized what had happened, like, the fucking hose was starting to like balloon. Oh no no and no! And it just went like, <laughs> and it was like it everywhere. Was, and it was just like, and it was the same thing. I was like realized as I was like trying to get over to like you know to put the aspirin oh into the sink. And it was just like, <laughs> and it was just like this was when I was still wearing PPE, which I mean I should probably say I still do, uh, <laughs> thankfully. And it was just like. It's brown. A brown mask. Brown. Oh, yeah. Brown. And I was just Dude. like, and I did one of these. I was just like, this sounds just oh, like my, your new your experience like, with Zaya, your new baby. Just, just like just taking just a like, big old baby shit. Off. Just a blowout. Yeah, yeah, and just I was just blowout. like, yeah. And I looked, and this like hit me with so much pressure, like hit me, bounced off of me, 
up onto like the cupboards and the ceiling, like <laughs> gave you whiplash, shit everywhere, <laughs> oh, and uh, oh. and I was just like, this is fucked. <laughs> this is fucked. I was it's making, super fucked. I was that's making, shit like, from a dead person. Bucks an hour. We're talking about dead time. shit too. Like yeah. that's fucking like dead shit. Making, is yeah. like almost as bad as his At shit. At least <laughs> like, it's almost fucking bad. bad. Almost. And uh, and I just remember thinking like, okay, well, at least I had my PPE on, but I didn't <laughs> tilt my head down. So I like stripped down and like went to go like wash up and I like get into the bathroom. It's like fucking up on my cheeks and like oh, oh my, God, oh, my neck. Oh. And it was like the closest. In every I crevice. Quitting, quitting funeral service, hands down. So anyways, that was my, I, that quit, was my worst experience. That, and, uh, and I'm about to throw up, and before I do, Quinn, I... Which is not the goal. I uh, I do want to know about, like, one of the things that I find really fascinating about what you specialize in is this idea of restorative arts. And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, I went to... Uh, I've been to a couple of open caskets. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, both times, I was it was really weird. It was a weird thing, like I to see my my grandfather, um, done up in an open casket. There was like this uncanny valley thing going on where mm. I was kind of like, oh my god, this like fe-, like and you know I don't know how much of that would, like was the death sort of playing into my my world view of going. I know that you're not alive, but you right. look fucking alive, and this is yeah, tripping yeah. me out, kind of thing. Um, or how much of it was just like the, the guy that was doing it or the person that was doing it was just shit at what they were doing and they just didn't right. do a good job. But like, if you were getting, if you're getting like a, you know, if you have a job in front of you, that is, and I can't help but think of like a case where, you know, it's like, um, a really intent, like a, like a bad motorcycle accident or mm-hmm. something, something very traumatic. What is, how the fuck, like how the fuck do you put someone back together what are the like? Um, I know. I know. It's not just like you're going to Mac and buying like Sephora makeup or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. there's got to be some sort of like, like what kind of tools are we looking at? What what is what is the actual process of like putting someone back together? Yeah, it's you. You have to start with a solid foundation. Um, so, for example, in incidents where the the facial bones have been compromised, you have to. Because you can't, you know, if you're applying any kind of uh, form on top, it can't be soft, right? So you have to be able to go in and, and build, rebuild the bone in a way that you can kind of place... Like have something to push yeah, into. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because there are times, like, we'll use different compounds to kind of recreate form. So if somebody's missing portions... Holy You know, like, shit. you imagine, like, you know, part of the mm. nose is missing. You'll use different waxes. I'm, I'm kind of using uh, silicones now where I'll sculpt it in clay, cast it, get it in silicone, and then apply it. Holy wow. fuck, is it? Silicone, you can, you can do a lot more with. It's, it's a lot more kind of... Um, Malleable? Yeah, it's lifelike. Well, it's what they use in, in movies for prosthetics and right. such. What are you I, using for, like, a, a reference point? Uh, photos, if I can. Uh, conversely, you know, if you actually look at facial proportions, artists in the room, for example, know like you, you know, you can go one third, one third, one third, and then eye is, you know, you're like your face is five eyes wide. You know that your ear is the same length as your nose. 
So if you have like one feature. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, hold on. my mind here, man. Hold on, hold on. This sounds extraordinarily general. I've seen some people with some long-ass fucking noses and some big old Dumbo-ass ears. Look at Hold on, hold on. What are we saying here? My ear is what? They're the same people. Seven noses are my ears linked to my eyes? What are you saying? Ear, nose. One-to-one. Which isn't that forehead, too? Is it? <laughs> Holy fuck. That's all I actually need is come oh. on here to say. It's wow. like, I, I feel like I know a lot about this because I watch a lot of uh, yeah, if you arts watch, and crafts YouTubers. Yeah, and, or uh, if you watch a lot of... I was a host uh, of Artsuka for two years. If you so, watch I mean, a lot I, of like, sci-fi stuff, like how they made, you know, all the different uh, prosthetics in movies, like special effects. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot. It's very similar. Can like, you, I'm actually enrolled wow, in... so cool. Can I, can I name names? Like yeah, Stan yeah. Winston School. Well, he's a guy that you know did Terminator. We're gonna have to bleep that out. Bleep that out back there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> back there. I'm joking. I, it's, it's, it's my job. We, that's people. what I do. Uh, so I, I'm actually enrolled in a in a movie effects school. Cool. Like it's online, so I can like yeah. look up like how to hair punch like eyebrows back in. Wow. Stuff like that. Do you do so. that? Do you do? Oh that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, yeah? Um, wow. With, what the with fuck? The, with the funeral homes I'm with, um, like I've been flown out to to work on decedents that have been involved in like traumatic incidents. Um, wow. Here, here's a, here's a really weird question because we're getting into a different time in, in like our lives right. where uh, there's a sort of different way that there's a, there's a more common way to express ourselves artistically. And so like, mm-hmm. have you ever had a, 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 a dece- did you say a decedent? Decedents. Decedent? Yeah. Have you ever had a decedent come in that had like facial tattoos that you gotta like recreate the tattoos or like or even like physically like on their you know on their hand yes. or their arm or something where you go the the tattoo's mangled and yeah. like you try to put it back together? To a degree. I've never like I've had uh some hand tattoos. Yeah. Uh thankfully at the point you know, I haven't had to recreate the entire piece. Yeah, right. But I've had, you know, portions that have been damaged. And then when you, you know, when you wax your silicone over it and then you lay a cosmetic down, you've got to be able to kind of match the lines. Wow. Out. Oh, my wow. God. So do, you, do you use like, wow, a, wow, do you wow, ever wow. use 3D printers? It was just a 3D print a whole body and yeah, go, yeah. here you go. Here yeah. you go. There's Trevor. Uh, no, he's looking I, good. I found. Usually what it comes down to is, is, is typically, you know, when you're looking at a viewing time, we, d- we just don't have that kind of time. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, if I get a major restoration where I have to go in and, like, rebuild, like, say if someone crushes their skull, I have to go in and rebuild that. It typically takes me about 24 hours total. That uh, seems that's short. That, that, <laughs> yeah. that so seems fast. very fast. Someone came in, their whole skull was crushed. I take about 24 hours and yeah. they're back to normal. I'm down to 20. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Uh, that's crazy. I'm like, just for perspective. Yeah. Days. It would take me days. Right, <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. Are you... Right, so, so you're like in flight school and you're flying jets. Yeah, yeah. I, I just had I had a, I had a lot of exposure. I was work, you know, I was I was a dedicated embalmer for six years at a high call volume place, and is so, that a thing? Yeah, a high call volume. Place? Oh yeah, there there are funeral homes. You know, if you're if you you know, there's fifty. 
50 deaths a year, funeral homes to wow. 3,500. Yeah. Well, you, think about, you, like, where you are if you were, like, yeah, you know, like in, you're in, in of, like yeah, some rural Calgary. place or if you're in, you know, ba- Baltimore. Yeah, you really hit the area I on that. The, I figured hey, that people probably, like, spread their time around, though. Do you, right? Were you big on Clay Cafe as a kid? Don't, I you know what? I moved around thing. a bunch, so I, I think I may have Is that only Halifax thing? Clay Cafe? I don't know. I mean, Is I'm it? sure there's Clay Cafe th- type things in every city. Yeah, it's a place where you go and you make mugs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with clay. Oddly enough, no, I, I did a lot of I did a lot of drawing in that. I, ne- I didn't I didn't work in the three D realm. It's yeah, really complex. It's well, only here, happens in Halifax. Uh, wait, uh, we're we're coming up to time here, but I, yeah, but yeah. but uh, I mean, this is fucking nuts, and I love this. But I, I know that you brought your little uh, your oh, yeah. little, like um, serial killer sack here with that has ooh. all your ta- tools. It really in does it. see that you refer to it, it as the Dexter kit. It earlier. does look. like, I mean, hey, if you refer to it as for, a Dexter uh, kit, for he clarification, was a that was not my reference. <laughs> <laughs> but this is. Uh, no, why, thought, but also, you know, why is it leather bound? And also, why is it so cute? So I don't know. It does seem very cute. Very and leather it's bound. also got a perfectly cute box. Hey, yeah. This is Taylor. Move. Uh, Get the some, fuck out of there, dude. For some for some reason, they sell uh, like little kits, like you're gonna embalm on your vacation or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm looking for shit for to buy my nephews for oh, Christmas yeah. right now. And this I got, looks I got this right my... up the alley. My sister would be so pissed. It's nice. It's got a little. Uh, it's yeah, got a little placard I, uh, on it. I got this for my graduation. Oh, very nice. You know, for those. So. Wow, how sharp the, is there Holy something? fucking no, shit, I, dude. Uh, I didn't bring any sharps because I didn't think that was a good idea. So the scalpel is not in here, although everyone's seen the scalpel. Now, by would. the way, we're, we're doing a contest today. This. We're going to give this away to someone who knows <laughs> the most about the podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, everyone's seen forceps before. I saw forceps very recently. So mm-hmm. we use... Uh, Different sizes of S-curve needles. Whoa, um, dude, that looks like a fucking sick blade off of Elden Ring. So if, if you, you know, ever you need know. to, like, repair jeans if or a heavy know, you know. heavy material. Yeah. Because, like, going what, through what tissues. Do you do that? What do you do with that? Well, sew the you, face. Yeah, when you embalm, like, we have to make small incisions. So then you have to, you have to stitch it up afterwards. So we, mm. an S-curve just, it. Because, you know, your hands are damp because you're cleaning at the same time. It Fuck just allows goes, you to... Goes in, yeah. comes out, goes in, comes out. Uh, what Have you used this stuff on an actual person? No, no, no. no, this, no is, this is a frame. I, I, yeah, this is, this, this, this is unused. I wouldn't do that. Use it on Taylor. Go, go, go. <laughs> do it. I S-curve him. Forcep me. <laughs> no, you don't want me. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> uh, these are called aneurysm hooks. Oh. Holy fucking shit. What wow. does that mean? Tell that sounds why. awful. My head hurts. I know. I don't actually know why they're called aneurysm hooks specifically. But uh, basically, when we make the incision, you have to separate connective tissue. You have to be able to raise the vessel. And these allow you to kind of go oh, in very finely shit. and raise vessels. Can I touch so, it? Can I hold yeah, it? Yeah. So you're hooking veins and, I don't want you to and like arteries, uh, arteries and veins. Yeah. Dude, um, these, are, these are weighty. They're beautiful. This is beautiful. Holy shit. How much does this cost? You know, I've never I've never actually bought I feel one like I've seen I won one, so I, don't I feel like I've seen several bullets <laughs> in movies being taken. Oh, I know. This is like a John Wick. John no, Wick don't. Yeah, I saw John Wick put, took, take a bullet out of his shoulder with uh, that. Spring forceps for passing, you know, like just, you know, manipulation, yeah, fall yeah, grabbing right. bullets. Um, these are cannulas. So this is what gets attached to the. No, I thought a cannula was like uh, two things that go into your nose hole, like to give you oxygen. Or this. What is that? Does that go in the pee hole? What What this does. This. uh, What this does is it goes into the artery. 
That's worse. So this gets attached <laughs> to the tube. Well, you won't feel it. Objectively worse than that's the way worse than my pee hole. Yeah. <laughs> At that stage, though, you're not worried about the pee hole. Yeah, yeah you're really not. The, like I truly like this. It really is beautiful. Like it, I feel like I'm holding like a Japanese knife. Like it's very. Mm, yeah. And those are drainage forceps. Uh, so Ugh, what that, is that? Ugh. So we don't remove the blood, but again, when you're when you're when you're adding fluid into a closed system, it's gonna. Yeah, so what we do is we open up a vein, typically the jugular, and we allow the blood to to come out. Holy shit. And so, give me that. So that gets, here. So that gets placed, inserted into the vein, typically into, you know. Into a vein? You're going, you're going. Yep. Whoa, veins stretch out that much? They're very stretchy. Holy fucking fuck. Oh, dude. That's crazy. That, like, you just, wow. Oh my god, that's so much space. A vein? Yeah, your jugular. I actually I bet, feel. Yeah. I, I feel Does far your urethra less do that? That's crazy. Oh yeah, bodies are Come remarkably. Here, Brian. Come yeah. here, just let me just. Like I feel, I feel far less fragile knowing that that could go into my vein and not destroy it. Quinn, god, dude. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm wondering, like, as I'm what beauty seeing you go through all these tools and thinking about the process of like using all of them and thinking back to the beauty. conversation that we were just having with Jeremy and like honoring, like honoring the the person who's no longer here yep. do you have any like personal like sort of rituals or like things that you do while you're in are you asking about his kinks of- right now with these <laughs> fucking things what the fuck do you wrap the whole room in plastic i was trying to be more <laughs> polite about it <laughs> um i think one of the like one one thing i'll teach apprentices something that i got in the habit of um not habit of but something that kind of came at the beginning was you never refer to the to the deceased as it mm. or, you know, the body. Uh, yeah. Because the minute you start objectifying and then the reverence kind of goes out of it. Yeah. Because it's a lot easier to do unethical things when it's just an it. A thing. An object. Do you use the name? Do you use the name? Yeah. 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 yeah like yeah. everyone like most of the embalmers I know will refer. Like you'll you'll talk to them in your head, mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. I do it not out of a out of a kind of a, a creepy like that like I think they're listening. It's just more of a like a respect. It's because that's who it was. Yeah. It was Harry, yeah. you know, and it's okay, Harry. I'm just moving over here, and mm-hmm. it's not like you're speaking out loud, but you always refer to them as their name in your head. I, yeah. I, I kind of like how I talk to my I, pet. Like I go, oh, I'm gonna yeah. do. I'm gonna do this. Jeremy wants to jump in. Yeah. I love that you said the pet thing. Quinn just went, uh, Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think, like, bringing that back into the space that I'm very passionate about, I'll meet, like, I really agree with you on that, like, where we continue to regard them as, like, you say, Mr. or Mrs. Smith or whatever the case is. And, And even though, like, that physical state of them is present tense, there's, or sorry, past tense, that person is still very present to the family. Yeah. Right? So death ends life, not relationship, yeah. where like this is still very much Mr. Smith and the way that we're caring for them now is completely different than we maybe anticipated, mm-hmm. but still very much the person, you know, that relationship mm-hmm. to the family, right? So mm-hmm. I think that just complements kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and like uh, like Jeremy had said, like inevitably, you know, the one thing I found about the funeral profession is that the longer you're in it, it can get harder because you start to draw more lines to things. You know, when I started, I was in mid-20s. You know, I hadn't lost any family members. Cut to 10 years later, that was a different story. So now it was getting harder because 
mm-hmm. and then someone comes in and they look like my mom or I get a kid and it looks yeah, like my yeah, son right. or, yeah. you know, you start yeah. seeing all these connections because as you get older, you develop more connections, whether or not, you know, you just over time. Mm. And so, you know, I've, I've embalmed enough friends that, you, oh, wow. you know, you, you, you don't, you know, the next decedent isn't just, a body it's you know well this it's was somebody's someone. mom this yeah. was someone's grandmother that's yeah. really interesting because i yeah. i was what like thinking about the profession i was like oh if if i can imagine myself um doing this mm-hmm. i feel like initially i would i would you know really take pride in like honoring that person and the and the whole process but like with anything over time as as you get used to it and start to there's this like familiarity yeah. to it and then you like the probably the first day you go to work hung over and you're like yeah Oh, this is different. Like this is a different experience. Yeah, there's yeah. There, like, you always you always have to be cognizant of the uh, the complacency because it yeah. is easy, and you 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 do have to remind colleagues from time to time. Like it's not it's he, it's she. You know, like which I think like not, I think anybody in the in the in the sphere of like healthcare, th- they need to remind themselves totally. of that all the time. Oh it's yeah, like yeah. you know paramedics. Physicians, nurses, like that is yeah, it's get, one of those fatigued. things where you totally, absolutely. Yeah. And like that that element of like adding adding humor, adding like the the sort of gallows humor to to like the the thing that you do is very is very important, but also yeah. well, also maintaining you, that humanity yeah, is you like can just always as important. Joke about things, you yeah. don't joke about the disease. Yeah, totally. Like you don't yeah. comment on them. Yeah. Yeah, you right. can comment about things yeah. that happened. Yeah. Mm. Now in but, that same realm, have you ever had a scary story? Can you tell us a scary story? Did any of these fucking corpses just go? Ugh, no, Quan. I've got enough. I've had it up to <laughs> I'm here. Back. With those I'm back. My wife insists that couch cushions. Sorry, my wife's also a funeral director. Um, my <laughs> wife insists that couch cushions were moved. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not wait, 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 evidence. Wait, wait. And just, it's also like, if wait, that's no, what you're doing, whoa, 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 who cares? Not uh, sufficient evidence. If you said my wife said some socks were missing, I'd go. <laughs> Me and everybody else in here, we all lose socks. Jerry, you, Jerry, you've just been ripening yourself to believe. But hold on, couch cushions disappearing? No, this no, is th- just moving. <laughs> An inch. <laughs> uh, she's gonna kill me for it. But, but who moved I, it? I just, but who uh, moved it? That's what I'm saying. Because I hear st- tales of ghosts, and it's like, well, no, the lamp has a bad switch. We just need to replace the switch. Uh, but it could be uh, ghosts. Scary. Could be ghosts. Um. Disconcerting. One time I was working in a funeral home that was in the basement, so like no natural light, and I was in the middle of it bombing. Da da da. Oh, fuck and this. the lights went out. Oh fuck that, dude! Like, that's the sign. You gotta go. That's that's uh, the haunting of uh, Hill House. Hill House. Yeah. 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 Well, it's mostly because like I didn't know. I was like, where did I put the scalpel? And I can't see anything because the backup lights didn't work. So. Now, did the corpse take the scalpel? No. <laughs> Believe me, like I, I, I remember actually as a kid before embalming, I was zombies were like I was terrified of zombies. Yeah. So I, of course I became an embalmer. Um, You're making zombies no longer zombies though, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the sickle thing, I was like, you can't generate enough force. <laughs> like you just, if you're a vampire, you can though. Whatever. We don't have to get into yeah, it. Yeah, but they wouldn't sit up that fast. So, you know, over time, I was like, nah, zombies wouldn't be a thing. Like, there's just no way. Like, in the Atlanta heat, 
three days in, The Walking Dead would have been okay, done. In the but, okay, the right, right, Well, seriously, look, humi- I know, I get it. I get humidity it. Look, and heat. I get like, it. They would have been liquid. I I understand, and I don't, and I I honestly like I I'm glad I don't do what you do because <laughs> it would ruin spookiness for me. I think. But uh, uh, no. But let, let yeah, me let me just ask because there, there's there's a fucking hundred times a year where I will go into a basement right. and then I'll do the thing in the basement and I'm by myself and then I have to go up the stairs from the basement and I know everybody in this fucking room knows this feeling when you start walking up the stairs in the basement and you go, shit, someone's behind me. I know no one's behind me, but I feel like someone's behind me. Yeah. And then you just run up the stairs. Now, does do, do you run up the stairs faster and harder because there actually is a corpse behind you? Or... Or do you just get used to running up the stairs the same way that all us fucking muggles do it? I think I think I I I go upstairs deliberately slower. No, in you the fucking you you fucking that I can be smugly superior about my it. man, yeah. my man. <laughs> but uh, actually, like I like my office for six years was in in the morgue, so my computer was there oh, typing wow. out emails and. Oh. You know, it was just so many. Everyone, and you, and you, everyone was around me. And you, and you keep and you keep them all at your back. I love it. Yeah, I yeah. had trust. I have trust because they trusted me. You build good relationships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All about relationship building. Yeah. yeah, zombies don't know what trust is, but th- that doesn't matter. It, it's neither here nor there. There's a lot of rules about zombies. <laughs> you know. A lot. Yeah. A lot. There's, very, There's like, whole books on them. Taxonomy, like these ones run, these ones don't. That's ridiculous. Running zombies, that's ridiculous. Like. <laughs> It Not is, in yeah. England. They run fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They fucking run real quick in London. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Quinn, Jeremy, give a big round of applause. This has been such a fucking treat. Thank you guys so much. We went way over time. Thank you all for fucking surprise, hanging surprise. out with us this long. Uh, tip your bartender, Eric, a big shout out. Thank you so much. And uh, honestly, guys, as as coming back for our first live show in two years, I feel like uh, although we feel a bit rusty, this has been like Edmonton is such a fucking great city. We love coming here. One of our most cherished live shows of all time was from here. Uh, thank you all so much for taking your time to come out tonight on this rainy uh, September evening to hang out with us. It means the world to us. And uh, give yourselves a big round of applause for, uh, for you know, in the midst of a goddamn global pandemic, we're all hanging out. This is fucking sick. So thank you all so much. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.